you know, a, a leader's job is to help get all the stuff out of the way for people and help them do their best work. Mm. That's, that's the ultimate of a leadership is saying, how do we create an environment where people can do their best work, be yeah. fully engaged with it, enjoy what they're doing and give their best and give them the tools to do their best. Hello and welcome to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. This is a show where I have coffee and conversation with some of the best leaders in the world, and we talk about culture and connection. Before we get into this week's episode, I have a very brief, it is brief, trust me. I know I can go on and on in these intros. This is a brief thank you to the individuals that supported our first ever 50 Cups of Coffee fundraiser for the Brigance Brigade Foundation. Brigance Brigade is a 501c3 serving families touched by ALS. In just a little less than two weeks, we raised almost $700 for the Brigance Brigade. Special shout out to Grandma Foster, Chuck, the Stockle family, the Volrath family, the Cerniglia family, the Chandler family, Coach Dempsey, one of my biggest fans, my Aunt Lori Horton, and of course, my family. My mom, dad, and brother and sister each donated to this cause, and I never even asked them to, didn't bring it up with them. I thought that was really, really awesome. I thank them for their donation. I thank each of you who donated, and, and, and just thank you so much for supporting. Again, the first ever fundraiser, first ever ask of this podcast, uh, an opportunity to serve the Brigance Brigade during this time when truly they need our help now more than ever. Each of you who has supported, you're on my list for my end of the year 50 Cups of Coffee gift, the same gift that's going to be going to the guests of the show, and and it, it's, it's, a, it's a cool one. I got, I got some cool ideas for, for merch, for swag, stuff I'm going to be rolling out kind of towards the holidays, and one of those items is going to be the gift for the early supporters, for folks that are on our early mailing list, and for guests of the show. So thank you for that. Know that I appreciate you and that that gift is coming. Coming towards the end of the year. With that, let's get to today's guest. That is all I have for you to start this episode. My guest today has spent the last 20 years improving the cultures of organizations such as Apple and Microsoft, BMW, eBay, AT&T, Zappos, and Southwest. Organizations that have made a name for themselves because of their cultures seek the advice of today's guests for their cultures. 80% of Fortune 500 companies have used his philosophies and his practices to improve their company culture. His organization has facilitated trainings in 30 countries, and his best-selling book has sold over 6 million copies worldwide. That book is called Fish, a proven way to boost morale and improve results. And the author of that book, and my guest today, is John Christensen. This interview is a very special one for me because Fish was one of my first introductions into this world of team culture development and leadership development. As an orientation leader in college, I read the book and watched the short 15-minute film about the world-famous Pike Place fish market. And you can still go watch that movie now on YouTube, and I encourage you to do so. It's just 15 minutes. After I graduated from college, I got a job training orientation leaders out of college, and Fish was the book I bought for my student leaders. We read the book and used their practices as the basis for our culture. 
then when I left that job to go full time as a speaker and trainer, one of the first events workshops that I got was in the state of Washington. And I, you know, of course I flew into Seattle for the event. When I landed, I had a little bit of time to explore Seattle, so I headed over to Pike Place Market. Really, at the time, was searching for the original Starbucks that I wanted to go see. Uh, it was uh, at that time they didn't sell coffee, that, or they sold coffee, but they didn't sell drinks of coffee. They actually just sold the bags of beans. Uh, that's what the original Starbucks sold. It's actually the, the, there's a great book. I'm getting on a tangent, but uh, called "Pour Your Heart Into It," which tells the story of Starbucks. And that original store is actually close to what the original store was and then Howard Schultz came in to play and turned it into the kind of coffee Starbucks that we know today, which is, is a, a topic for another podcast. But but anyways, on that trip, I really was looking for the, the original Starbucks store and I ran into Pike Place Market and, and I ran into what I, I heard, I should say, uh, a, a ton of noise and, and, and I saw a crowd and I saw some commotion and I walked over and saw that there was a fish market where people were throwing fish as they were selling it. And I, of course, remembered the book Fish and, and just couldn't believe that this was the market. As I walked up to it, they had signs saying this is the world famous Pike Place fish market. And and for me, it was, it was pretty wild because here's this book that I read as a student leader in college that inspired me to be more involved in leadership training and development and culture training and development. And when I, when I worked in that field, that was the book I used. And then I quit my job to do that, to be a trainer and a speaker. And, and at one of my first events, I'm standing in front of this market which is literally the same place that my guest today, John Christensen, stood 20 years ago today, not today, but 20 years ago uh, in 1997 when he was inspired to make the movie that he made and then write the book that he wrote, which is... Which, which sparked his career, has changed cultures across the world, and is why we are talking today. And so I will let him tell that story. I'll let him tell the story of what inspired him about the fish market and paint that picture for you and, 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 and him share everything he's learned over the last two decades of teaching culture to some of the best, quite literally, Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies in the world. This is a great interview about improving culture with a guy who is sought after by, as I've said countless times, the best businesses in the world to do so. Please enjoy my cup of coffee with John Christensen. I had this desire to make a film about people doing their work with passion. So we spent Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the woods with David White on the island Woodby Island. And we moved, I moved into Seattle on Friday night. So Saturday morning I got up and said, hey, I wanna see the sights and sounds of Seattle. And by the way, I love shopping. So where can I go? And the concierge at the front desk said, oh, you've gotta to go to Pike Place Market. So off I went. I got down to Pike Place Market, started on the north side, and started walking through. Now, this is an open-air market. It's a public market, and there's all these vendors. There's artists there, photographers and painters and flower vendors. And there's a gentleman with a, a roasting nut company, so the nut smells are wafting throughout the whole place. 
beautiful fruit vendors, vegetable vendors, it's, and street musicians all over in different little corners of the marketplace. And so, and crowds, I mean, hundreds, thousands of people walking this place. And in the far distance, I'm hearing this laughing and, and screaming. And I thought, well, that must be one heck of a comedian, right? Or a street <laughs> that's making this noise happen, you know, people screaming and shouting. Yeah. And lo and behold, as I get closer, I get up to there and there's like a hundred people standing around this area and I sneak my way through the crowd and I get to the front almost and I see that it's not street performers, it's a fish market. And here's these guys doing these crazy things, throwing fish, throwing, you know, 20, 40 pound salmon across the counter, across the way to the counter and the gentleman on the other side catching it one-handed and, and throwing it over customers' heads. And it's all this excitement and yelling and cheering. And, and then I see the little nuances of the fishmongers hugging customers. You know, hey, they just bought a you know, $140 fish. They give them a big hug. <laughs> they engage with people in an interesting manner. And so I got engaged with that. I got enthralled with that actually and said, what's going on? This is really unique. So then I saw one little instance that really sort you know, solidified this whole experience for me was that one of the fishmongers had there, they have live crayfish in a bucket. So he took this crayfish over to a little boy about five, six years old and, you know, had the snappers going at him and the little boy screamed bloody murder. I mean, just started crying, <laughs> ran to his mom, held on to his mom's leg, crying. The fishmonger noticed this, put the crawdad back in the, in the bucket, got down on his hands and knees in his orange rubber pants, looked the little boy in the eye and said, I am so sorry I scared you. Can I have a hug? And you could see the proceeding. The little boy just ah, sighed and gave the fishmonger a hug. What's that? What in the world was that? Now I'll go back to Monday. I'm in Minneapolis at a high-end pediatrician's office. My five-year-old at the time is having terrible asthmatic attacks. She's scared to death. We're scared as parents. And our experience in our healthcare provider was the receptionist didn't even look up. She's typing away, you know, doesn't look up. Have a seat. Okay, yeah, Kelsey Christensen, great. We'll go have a seat. They put us in the room. The nurse hits her on the head with the tape measure, you know, on top of the scale, plops us on the cold, sterile table. The doctor comes in, says, look, ah, uh, say, ah, uh, look at, you know, looks at her breathing, says, here, let's up, you know, let's boost her albuterol more. Great. That was my healthcare experience versus, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry I scared you, little boy. Right. With a fishmonger on the cement floor, caring more about that little boy than my doctor did caring for my daughter. Right. That really hit me, saying, what in the world is going on? How can that be? So all that combination of seeing them hug customers, of seeing the fun that they were doing, and seeing that engagement with the little boy really hit me and said, there's my place. 
there's this place that I've been looking for that has the passion to do the work that I have never seen. I thought I had a really great customer service program, right? Here's these guys giving great customer service. Mm. More than that. I mean, it, it, that aha moment of saying, here's the place, here's what I've been looking for was quite the experience. So you put together, you know, the, the movie and then obviously the book right. and, and really, and then it, it really has, you know, fish philosophy is, is as I said to you, my relationship to it is philosophy, whether it's a movie, a book, uh, you know, you walk into a hospital and see it, see it on the wall, you walk into a university, you name it. And so I guess if you, if you could walk through the core principles of fish philosophy that you pulled from that experience and obviously others and research um, and how those, how you've applied those to, to your work for the past however many years. So when I went with my cameras, I, I, before I went, I had two things that I knew in my back pocket. I had this fun at work, this incredible fun playfulness, and I had this incredible piece of engagement where they were totally being with their customers. So I didn't know what to call that yet, but I, I saw that when they were hugging customers for buying their fish and then the little boy interaction with the little boy and the crawfish, okay? I saw that they had this connection. So when I got there and we started filming about 6.15 in the morning, I asked Bear the first question, so how are you today, Bear? And he said, well, I chose how I'm gonna be today. And that hit me. You chose how you're going to be today? Yeah, I chose I'm going to have a good day at work today. So that, and then the other guys chimed in, yeah, so did I. And so that sent me down the pathway. So I had this fun at work piece. I had this connectedness to their work and to their customers. And then 6.15 in the morning, I've got this, I chose how I'm going to be today piece from Bear. And then that sent me down the whole pathway of asking each one of the fishmongers, you chose how you're gonna be? Yep, I chose. I had an intention of what, how great a day it's gonna be. I chose how I'm gonna show up. I choose how I'm gonna to react to things. So that sent me down the pathway of choose your attitude. So when I went, I did not have a, a whole piece of language. Now we shot, we shot Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with the full crew. And then it was myself just with the little camera on Saturday. So we shot Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We shot four days at 10 hours a day. So more than 40 hours of footage to get down to 18 minutes. <laughs> so again, I didn't go into this. In the documentary style, you go in and you study, kind of like Margaret Mead who's an anthropologist who studies the culture. So I just started to study the culture of what was going on in the fish market. Now, they said these words that we choose how we show up. They, we playing with each other, we play, um, but they do not have that language defined. When we shot it, we asked all these questions and through the process of editing, which interestingly enough, took us almost a year to edit the film from over 40 hours down to 18 minutes because we had to see what we had. And then out of what we had, we created the language. So it wasn't like they were speaking this language. We had to, again, understand and study the culture 
And we at Charthouse created the language of fish and created the fish philosophy. They weren't saying these things. They had, they were vernacularly saying them, but they weren't practicing it in the fish philosophy, all contained, all nice and neatly tied up in a bow like we helped create. So, right. so through the process of sitting and watching the 40 hours of footage over and over and over and over again, we came up with the language of fish and it became instead of fun at work, it became play because I think play in, encompasses more than fun. Play is a natural desire that people need. It's actually a, a, a human need for play. There's been studies on it that are absolutely incredible that, that the frontal lobe can't develop unless you play. And I'm going to make a, a statement that we're taking away one of the most important things in a child's development is to play, to recreate, to recreate. And we're taking away uh, recess from schools. When, when they understand and study recess, the more recess you have, that's where you build your social connections. That's where you build your play the ability to get along with others. You see how to socially fit in. You get to use your creativity by saying, here's a stick and here's a ball, let's play something. And, and so play is incredibly important. Even animals play. If you look at yeah. nature, I'll say, it comes. Tim, your, your statement, said I'm gonna make a statement. Your statement's welcome on this podcast because uh, speaking our language and a lot of the work that, that I do is with F programs. And I've told this story on the podcast before. So if, if you're a regular listener, you've heard it, but. Um, Two years ago, I was working with a, a big 10 division one athletic team. They were top 20 in the country at the time. And halfway through our day by noon, I looked at the team and said, uh, I, go, I go, are you guys having any fun? I go, I don't right now. I mean, like playing your sport. Do you have fun with it? And they looked at me like it was a dumb question. And one of the players responded and said, no, we don't have fun anymore. We're here to win. We're here to compete. And, and, uh, and she said, she equated it to, she goes, I look at playing at this institution as my dream job. And it's, it's, while it's my dream, it's still a job. And so obviously I don't have fun with it. And everyone agreed. And for me, that's, this was two years ago that started a personal quest, I guess, to, to bring play and fun back to sports. At the youngest age, I'm talking third graders, uh, it's becoming, like you said, we're taking, whether we're taking recess out of schools, we're taking free play out of sport development. Sport development is becoming this, this constant tournament, this constant game, this constant learning and development, instead of just saying, just play. And fun, and like you said, the, the, not only does the brain develop, but the, the motor skills develop too. I mean, at some level, the biggest pitch is to say, and actually, if your goal is to create this elite athlete, quite frankly, free play didn't do it. And I don't think that should be the goal. The goal should be is the kid having fun with this. Um, there's so many factors that play into whether you, I do believe, joy and passion and fun are a part of that. And that's what I'm there to create. If you believe that's going to help you win, great. If you don't believe it's going to help you win, uh, one of the best I worked with was two and 14 last year. <laughs> Wins 14 losses. And it's simply because they're in a very competitive academic school. Uh, they, they don't provide a lot of athletic scholarships. Those players are there for the school and the team second. And the coach brought us in to say, and I want to make sure this is still 
one of the best experiences of their life. You know, we'd love to win more games, everything in our power to win more games. And the focus of this is also just to create an environment where you're having a great time. You want to be there, which is really no different than a lot of organizations, right? You want an environment where people are happy to come in every day. Right. Well, the, uh, you know, a, a leader's job is to help get all the stuff out of the way for people and help them do their best work. Mm. That's, that's the ultimate of a leadership is saying, how do we create an environment where people can do their best work? You know, be yeah. fully engaged with it, enjoy what they're doing and give their best and give them the tools to do their best. So, yeah. So you've got choose your attitude came from them. You, you saw this concept of play as more fitting. Um, I don't know. I didn't cut you off. So if you had more to say, no problem. Play, no problem. So we had, we had, make sure we had play. Well, play again, play came out of seeing how they were playing with customers and playing with each other. And then the choose your attitude, yes, that started at 6.15 in the morning by the fact of Bear, one of the guys said, hey, I'm choosing how my day is going to go. So that one led itself. And then more and more that I interviewed, we got choose from everybody. So choose your attitude, which is interesting. In education, people gravitate to choose your attitude because they want the kids to come in with a good attitude. They're not understanding that it's more about teaching choice that you have ability to choose how we react to things, you know? So, yeah. and then I took this experience of how the fishmonger was there with the little boy. Right. And we created be there, be present, be there. We put that language to it, be there. So, and then, mm -hmm. then the antics of what they were doing, of throwing the fish, of getting the crowd engaged, of hugging customers, of having seen the customers walk away with a smile on their face, that they came in grumpy. There was this piece called Make Their Day. We're here to, you know, just change people's attitudes, make their day. So we have play, be there, make their day, and choose your attitude. Those are the four practices. Now it took us a while to go from principles to practices, and I had to firmly put my foot down one day because people, we had a big debate in the company of principles or practices. I said, no, they're practices. These are daily things that we have to concentrate on, practices. You choose your attitude is a moment to moment thing. Being present is moment to moment. You know, they call it, you know, practicing Catholicism. They call it practicing medicine. They call it practicing law because it's not perfected, it's a practice. It's daily reminders, and that's what fish puts into people's heads. Again, here's a little secret. Fish is nothing new. Grandma, our mom, our dads taught us these things in life, but we don't remember them. Mm -hmm. common, common, you know, common attitudes, common understandings aren't so common, so. Common yeah, I like, common. I like the, you know, in, in the work that we do, a lot of teams and organizations, a lot of what they call, you know, core values, you know, pillars or principles, like right. you said, and um, I'm going to, I'll give you credit. And, uh, and I'm going to, I like that practices language better than values and pillars. And because there is a certain, you know, whenever I walk into a room, I'll, if there are 
core values on the wall, I'll usually ask about them even before a workshop starts. I'll say, what are those? And, uh, and do you live them? Do you practice? You can tell by people's body language and eye roll, emotions. Yeah. Some people defensive, absolutely. There are values. Some people don't care. Some people laugh because it's something lost or the coach likes it that nobody really lives. And I think the word practice is so much more active. Values and pillars is kind of passive. Whereas practices, active they're growing they're never finished um and they're a work in progress because that's right. something we try to preach too is you know you're not gonna you're not gonna live these all day every day every single day you're gonna have your lapses i'm sure that fish market yeah. huh. has their lapses oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and and that's okay you're practicing it you're continuing to make it a priority we all have it we call them breakdowns right i mean we all yeah. have, i mean you know I yelled at my kids, you know, that was a breakdown. That wasn't really being there for them. Right. Right. You talked about, um, to go back to the point you made in terms of, you know, choose your attitude. You're 100% correct. In my experience that a lot of folks have taken that to say, well, we, you know, to the, to the kid or the player or even the employee, we want you to choose a good attitude. Um, but you the point that it really is more about understanding that you have a choice. You know, I think the example is great from the movie of, of, of Bear saying, I'm choosing to have a great day. So how do you teach that concept? So, cause you're, I think that is a misconception, you know, taking it in kind of their own direction. I'd right. love to correct that. So how do you teach the concept of choose your attitude? Well, we go, you know, I mean, for years we had to figure it out, right? I mean, we were going choose your attitude and everybody went, you know, let's choose a great attitude. Well, then we started doing attitude boards where we'd pick words, we'd have hundreds of words that people could pick when we did a seminar from, and it just wasn't, you know, happy words, you know, we, we put grumpy and sad or frustrated on there. And it's amazing. People would pick those words and go put them on the board. So we're not trying to deny people's emotions, right? We're also just trying to let people understand that you can choose those emotions and that you can be in those states, but then, know that you're in those states. And I mean, we had, this was fun for a while at the office, we had attitude boards outside of our offices. So when you'd come in the morning, you'd, you know, it's a wipe off board, you'd write what attitude you were on, you know, what attitude you had that day. Mm -hmm. And some people, when they put grumpy, it was, it was a challenge for the day. People would try and come in and go, okay, Wendy seems to be grumpy today. Let's try and make her day. You know, let's try and get her out of that mood. So that became fun too. I mean, that was the playfulness of it. But you knew that she was that way, right? She, mm. she had chosen that and she knew she had chosen that. So and then I like that nuance. Because, well, and you're right, especially, you know, right now, um, uh, we're in a, a time of, of uncertainty for a lot of people. And I know who knows when this, uh, I really don't know when this interview will drop. And I'm pretty confident no matter what in the next few weeks, we're still going to be in a situation of uncertainty for a lot of people, fear, anxiety, maybe even sadness. And I think there are definitely days, you know, you and I are in a similar line of work. And so especially when it comes to live events and workshops and trainings, those are on hold right now. And so there's definitely days where that, makes me sad and to deny feelings is also not helpful or cathartic to sit too long is not helpful or cathartic but there are days where i'll put on music that i, I like to listen to when i'm sad and i'll go for a walk 
sit on my deck and and, and we we have like a woods behind us so it's fun to just kind of look at the wood and 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 just feel it and, and that's okay uh and so that's why i asked you to go back and talk about this concept because in that moment i'm choosing to feel sad there's right. moments where you have to choose feel upset angry and get it out and and then after that but choose to be solution oriented choose to be more positive about the situation choose to see the silver lining and and all of those are good choices it's not always just about choosing a good attitude because right. at that rate that's when this stuff i think gets almost hijacked to no to no fault of the author of the book there's a lot of books out there about positive attitude and positive energy and i have seen several organizations or teams who after the the culture is implemented long enough will roll their eyes when it gets brought up right so if an example uh example of ours energy is everything one of the things you know we've said for years and and i i guarantee you uh there are moments where where someone in an office who's been through our training uh here you know they're in a bad mood and a boss or a colleague says hey energy is everything and they roll their eyes at it and i'm acknowledging that happens and part of that is because in the moment the individual is not allowing someone to just have a real huge feeling you don't have to come every single morning at 6 and say today is going to be great maybe maybe it's not and that's okay as long as it's you're not you're not every day choosing to be grumpy after a while you're going to look at wendy and say hey we can't be your uplift every single day <laughs> we're happy to be there for you but not every day and so that's the continued nuance that we have have really gotten a lot better at making sure we explain with it with an organization we're working with is we are not coming in to say everything's sunshine and rainbows we're here to say you choose how you show up be aware of that be intentional about that be conscious of that and i'm glad you brought that up here because it's it's an important nuance of, of the stuff you choose your attitude yep well here's a big one that we that ever since the beginning and my colleague steve lundeen started this down this pathway it's an invitation fish is an invitation we invite you to participate this way we're not demanding it from you we're not saying you have to but we're inviting you to this party mm. we're inviting you to live this way we're inviting you to see if living this way does you any good Now, I like that. Now, in corporations, there's a certain time where the party is over, okay? If the, if, the, if the culture is changing and you're not, and you're still in the grumpy mood and don't want to change, there's a certain time when the bus is going and you don't have a seat on the bus anymore. Now, there's mm -hmm. two things that happen. One, people either exit, pull the cord and exit themselves, or there's a time when the you know, the bus driver has to say, hey, I've told you not to yell and scream so many times, you know, you're not welcome on this bus anymore. Now, those are hard conversations and you give people time because we've invited them to come to this and we're not demanding it, but there's a certain point in time when a person is not willing to change that they're not, they're not fulfilling the culture you know, the dream of the culture, the intention of what we're about. Right. Well, I think the invitation is a great 
way to put it. I was just on a call uh, last week. There's a Zoom call that I've been doing during this time of about 25, 30, primarily college soccer coaches. There's some high school coaches. There's coaches from other sports. And every week is a different topic. So it's not related to coronavirus. It's more of it's culture and leadership focused. And the conversation last week or two weeks ago, I don't remember, was on this idea of when when is it time for players, this is sports in their world, to find another team to be on? When does it become time that you do? They don't like to use the word cut because cut sounds like it's got something to do with your athletic ability. And that's not what they're talking about. Uh, it's saying you have not bought into the culture here. And that was the, the consistent conversation was exactly what you just talked about was is, as long as as a coach, as a leader, you're creating enough opportunities to invite this person to be a part of what you're creating in their way, in a way that is genuine and authentic to them and, and in a way that is inviting and that is clear on what the expectation is as being a part of this team. And I've worked with a number of teams where 100%, uh, uh, one specific example is, is a, there was a player who just after a year of, of culture development, just you could tell she she wanted to be somewhere else she just didn't want to buy into that culture and the coach had a hard time letting her go and I said you're not you're not serving her either right, right? if this isn't where she needs to be you're not serving her either and that can always sound cold you know especially on the corporate side of things where someone is losing their livelihood potentially and if it's if they're not in a place that's serving them and they're miserable every single day then it's not serving the organization and it's not serving the person. Absolutely. And that, that you have to look at it that way. I mean, because uh, people become complacent, people need a change in that respect. I mean, if they're just going, I don't want to change. This isn't the way it should be. That's not the way it's always, we've always done it this way. No, when a culture needs to move, it needs, it needs new newness. It needs the right attitudes. So, mm-hmm. well, look, I mean, I, I'm not a one that wants to use sports metaphors, but look at the Minnesota Vikings, Diggs. I mean, right? I mean, hell of a player, but they cut him because I think his attitude wasn't what they needed. He, they needed a team player versus an individual player, right? Right, right. When, uh, well, another question I had that got brought up earlier when you were going over the principles is you talk, we got into the concept of play. I ended up taking it to, to my experience with athletics, but how do you teach play in a corporate environment? How do you teach them to implement, you know, the fish markets and easy, I, I don't want to demean it, but it, it's, you know, people can say, okay, throw the fish and have fun, but you know, we're a, we're a hospital or we're an accounting firm or we're an insurance agency. How do you teach individuals to bring play into that environment? Okay, so I've got a great one on that one. So this was shown to a group of nurses in a, in a uh, brain ward, a neurological ward. So this was shown to nurses in a neurological ward and the head nurse loved this whole concept. And then she got, she was done showing the movie, turned the lights on and said, let's discuss this. and. The first thing that came out, well, what are we going to throw? Bedpans and syringes <laughs> at each other? And then it wasn't the head nurse. It was another nurse said, no, what if we throw love and care at our patients? So it's not about the throwing. See, and play is not about being goofy. There's the fun part of play, 
But then we're going into studying, understanding play, and it's really about creativity. It's really about being in an environment that is playful, that lets creativity flourish. Because, I mean, even Einstein says it, you know, innovation wouldn't happen without play, without curiosity. So we're moving into saying play is about being curious. Play is about being childlike, not childish. Okay. So looking at it from that standpoint, we're saying play is what you need to create an environment that's innovative. You can't stifle ideas. You can't, you know, crack somebody a whip because they failed at something. They tried something. No, you should celebrate the tries. There's one corporate story out there. A guy blew something in the corporate world, spent $35,000 and went down the drain. He went to the boss and handed his resignation in and said, what are you crazy? I just invested $35,000 in you. I'm not taking your resignation. You know, you right. come up with ideas. You tried a crazy idea, it didn't work. Well, now we know that one doesn't work, but go try some more. Mm -hmm. you know? Look at Edison, 10,000 tries. That, that's right. about being creative. That's about being playful. That's about being curious. What can work? What can work? Mm -hmm. That didn't work. Mm -hmm. Let's try something else. And believe me, I've tried many things that have not worked. <laughs> right. I love that. I think uh, it kind of goes back to the choose your attitude side of things where it's, you know, it's a simple concept that people might take very literally to say, it's just right. choose that positive attitude. And so no, there's so much nuance to it and play. I'm glad you got into it. Cause I, as you were explaining creativity, I'm thinking, I thought of the story you shared. I thought of this willingness to fail, this, this willingness to throw out an idea that isn't successful, this willingness to just try things. And when you're in an environment of play, it's almost feels less consequential and it's right. not right because the, the success will be consequential, but you want the failure to be less consequential. You don't want people to be riding their egos and their reputations and their, their jobs on the potential of, of throwing out a bad idea. And right. so you want that environment of play. Well, here's the little insights and, and we say it in the film, but I'll reiterate it. The yelling and screaming part, that started as a practical joke. Hey, when, when Bubba yells out this, let's just yell it back at him, you know? So when he said five, you know, you know, five pounds of clams going to Montana, they yelled it back, five clams mm -hmm. going to Montana. And they all went, holy bleep. That was fun. So it caught on. The next thing is the, the throwing of the fish, totally came out of the fact that the owner went and got a fish from the front, from the front, you know, display and had to walk 35 steps to bring it to the cash register over and over and over and over every day going 35 steps to bring it up, to wrap it, to pay for it. And one day he just said, Hey, catch this. He was tired of walking it over there. <laughs> and that caught on. Again, yeah. another holy, you know, bleep moment. Right. So, so that, what was that? That was out of play. That was out of creativity. That was out of, you know, a desire to, for something new, you know, not the old way of doing things. So, right. 
magic can happen when you're being playful. That's great. I do want to give you a space because so we've talked about choose your attitude and play and kind of uh, uh, what I enjoy about the stories you shared and the definitions you shared is it it lends a more detailed kind of explain and they say it it's the nature of making content you know you said it's in the movie and it's in the book and it's amazing if someone reads something once or hears something and then 20 years later they're still implementing it in their way uh and so are there other especially looking at the other two practices are there other stories or things that you found um has been important in your work to make sure you clarify and make sure people understand like play isn't always about throwing bedpans and choosing right. your attitude isn't about coming every day with a smile on your face are there other i, I don't want to call them misconceptions but just things that you found are important you know it's why you do training because yeah, well, if the book and the film were enough they'd be enough but you have a, a complete an operation of training and development because it's important to to make sure people understand these things so that's why i'd love to give you the floor for that right well now the the phase that we're going into again so here's the here's the history made the fish film, put it out there, wrote the, co-wrote the book, put it out there. Then people wanted to see uh, us doing speeches on the book. Then they wanted to go, well, we want facilitation on this. So now we've moved into the phase of saying they want consulting. We want to change our culture. We've seen cultures change because of fish. Mm -hmm. so now people are saying we want environments and people inside of organizations want environments where they can do their best work, where they're treated beautifully, where they're loved, where they're cared for, where the energy level is in the right space, where their energy can be, you know, released to their best. I mean, we call it, you know, you know, catch the energy, release your potential. Catch this energy, release your potential. Use the energy of fish, of play, be there, make their day, choose your attitude, and release your potential. That's mm -hmm. a subline of our book. Yeah. So people want this in their environments. They want to be free. They want to be creative. They want to be environments where they can do their best work. So if someone's listening to this and excited by that, what does it look like when you all come in and let's say they go to your website and they want to bring you in for consulting or training? What does that look like? What type of work do you do? Well, one, we need to really start with leadership because leadership can, as you all know, can leadership can kill this by mandating it versus inviting it. Mm. And also leadership is it's a terrible analogy, but it works. I know, forgive me, but here it goes. <laughs> the fish rots from the head down, right? A real fish rots yeah. from the head down. Well, that's no different in a culture. The culture rots from the leadership down. Now, in, with fish, a leaders, people, there's different types of leaders in organizations. So a head nurse in a big, you know, hospital institute can make this happen and flourish on her floor okay their floor mm -hmm. but then when corporate gets it and says well wait a minute the nurse turnover went from 42 percent to eight percent on you know the neonatal ward what the heck's going on then they come down and they see it and they analyze it and they say well now everybody does it now everybody should do this fish thing well they mandated it that doesn't work Again, leadership 
all has to be contained in, in leading it, in being it, in showing up for it. Uh, we've heard hospital stories where, you know, again, they mandated it. And I actually went in one time to the hospital to a little outpatient thing. And I saw our little mascot, Pete the Perch, a little stuffed fish sitting on the shelf. And I said, oh, what's that? And she said, oh, that's fish. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so I had to press for it. And she said, oh, that's this thing called the fish philosophy. And it's a lovely little program, but, you know, leadership doesn't li live it. So screw it. I mean, they don't even say hello to me in the hallway. Mm -hmm. So see, leadership can kill it, can absolutely kill it. She said she liked it. She said there was fun things with it. But when leadership doesn't even acknowledge people in the hallway or say hello to you, that kills it. Yeah, well, that was what I was referencing earlier. I have a, uh, my sister-in-law played college volleyball, and I found out that her team was actually uh, made. That's how she said it. We were told we had to read um, The Energy Bus by John Gordon. And I know I've talked to John Gordon a couple times, and it's a great book and similar concepts. And, and, uh, and so, uh, but she had this animosity towards it. And I said, I, go, I understand if you don't like the book, like you're welcome to like or dislike a book. I go, but you seem to like have a, an animosity towards it. And she said that anytime anybody did something that was negative or, or got on someone's back or whatever, it was immediately there's a no complaining rule no energy vampire like they had taken his practices and kind of that's why i said earlier they hijacked them to say you know the coach wasn't living it they were simply using the language to to kind of force their players to live it and you're 100 right it created a, a negative reaction it's not even an apathetic it's negative where you say what's that and i, just, I don't want to talk about it and once you ask, it's, and again, not saying you have to love it, but your book, his book, any of the work we do, like, you can't hate it. <laughs> like, it's pretty, it's a simple idea, um, but it creates a negative kind of, uh, 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 almost like you said, an animosity towards it because it's not lived. So how do, see, so I, I love the word, I've written it down several times in my notes here, inviting versus mandating and, and and maybe it's a simple answer as just living it yourself but what are some so best practices for inviting people into this culture when you get the opportunity to consult with the leadership how do you how do you really inspire them to invite people instead of mandating it well you have to really you have to work with leadership we have a little you know fish for leaders program that really uh, one of our one of our clients. So what we did was we made little fish tails after fish came out, after the film came out and we saw it taking off inside of organizations, we made these little films called fish tails where we went into organizations and filmed what they were doing with fish and how they were living it and how they were utilizing it. So after we accumulated, you know, five or six of these little programs, we then saw and took from all the best from all these programs and created a Fish for Leaders program of seeing what, what these organizations were doing in common and what were their themes. And in leadership, it was by the fact that leaders showed up in a different way. And one beautiful one was, you know, it was a car dealership in Rochester, Minnesota. He said, you know, I go, I always thought it was their problems 
You know, I always thought, just fix their problems until I look at myself and fix my problems. And he said, his boss one time said, go look in the mirror. So go every day, you know, into the office, go to the restroom and look in the mirror. It starts with you. It starts with me. So mm -hmm. he said, it starts with me. The reflection in the mirror, everything starts with me. So he said, when I started fixing my problems, other people's problems went away because mm -hmm. of how I was looking at things, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a huge one of saying when leaders understand that it, we direct it, we are the leaders of it. Mm -hmm. Johnny, the yeah. owner of the fish market at the time said, I mean, his intention is so strong that he has to get up every day and set the intention of what he wants the outcome of the company to be. Now that's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of burden. But if we all come to the table with that saying, Hey, today we can make or break it. And I'm a part of that for this organization. That's a huge one. So yeah, and I think when you live that, like you said, that's a heavy burden to carry as the leader to say, I'm going to make the intention every day to, to, to show up in the way that I want others to. And my experience, I have found when you do that, you are allowed to have off days. And if you live that way regularly and consistently, then you'll get, you'll get grace. Your employees, your players, you'll give you some grace and they'll show up. I um the, one of the teams I work with, uh, as soon as colleges were shut down and students were sent home, the, you know, for, it was a soccer team I was working with there, you know, the, all of a sudden the coaches are scrambling to help their players move out of their dorms or, or residence halls and figure out what training looks like off campus and whatever, you know, the leaders of this team. And one of the coaches uh, was uh, having a baby like when this was going down, like I think they were either a day out of going to the hospital or in, they were in the hospital when they texted me uh, to give me the update. And she texted to this was, this was our second season working with them. And she texted to say, even before I could reach out to my players, which was going to be pretty quickly. She goes, I got a text from our captains saying uh, we've contacted everyone. Everyone's they we're helping people pack up and move home uh we've got a, we've got a whole you know text message thread with all the players so that we can, we, we are going to organize uh, a zoom session to connect we are going to organize uh what training we're going to do we want you and and your wife to just just focus on uh your your child and don't worry about us and so she texted me to say you wouldn't believe the text i just got from my team and so here's a day where she wasn't able to be the first person to reach out and be the first person to lead because she's having a baby and and because of the way she's led for two years the players the players showed up yeah. and really? and so i thought of that when you said it's a burden sure it is and if you consistently live it then people will gladly show up for you when you need it as well. That's the, that's the other interesting piece that, you know, we made a second film called fish sticks, which was how to, how to get the vision to come alive. And in that we talk about, you have the vision, you have to make a connection to that, a commitment to that connection. And then you have to be it slash live it. You know, uh, I love the fact that 
I am chart house learning. You know, I am the team, the sports team. I am, if you put that strong of, you know, wording to it, I am that that's a huge, I think a huge understanding of how you live something again. I mean, yeah. they are Pike place fish. They are world famous. I am world famous Pike place fish, right? Every one of the fishmongers. I am a world famous fishmonger at Pike place fish. And I love the power of that language as if you aren't, connected to that work not to keep bringing this up but that's the problem to solve right if everyone connects to this then great you you got it read the book do the stuff awesome but if someone isn't connected to it and you challenge them to say great i am chart house learning and if you have an employee that doesn't feel that doesn't like that by saying that it's like ah and it's like well then then this isn't your place no you know and yep. and that's okay and that's Right. Those are the hard conversations. Again, going back to the fact that the bus is leaving, do we have the right people on the bus? The good to great analogy. But it's true. I mean, am I, am I, does this, does this mission and vision and values of this company, are they in alignment with who I am and what I want to be? Mm-hmm. And, and are they helping me become who I want to be? That's another one. Are we mm-hmm. becoming who we want to be? A couple stories about cultures that have engaged with this and are living incredibly the cultures that we're talking about, cultures where people can do their best work. So two that come to mind, and they're healthcare examples, but let me just share them. One is a specialty hospital called Rankin-Jordan Specialty Hospital for Children in St. Louis, Missouri. They built their whole building even on fish practices. They showed the architect the fish film and said, we want to create an environment that is fun, engaging, and that gets all of us, not only the employees, but the kids engaged in it. So they built a wonderful children's specialty hospital. This is a hospital where kids who have been staying in the regular hospital too long, they don't want to send them to nursing homes quite yet. They want a transition piece. And, and these are kids with head injuries, long-term illnesses. It's a very sad situation the kids are in, but it's a very loving and caring place. So, so they built it around that. They have 15, well, 10-foot banners when you come into the place of be there, play, make their day, and choose your attitude. They wear that language on their badge, their name tag. They have little people get fish or fish stickers for things that they've done. They acknowledge people with the big fish award every month or and they've created this environment where again it's sad situations where these kids are at but one of the head doctors says something that's absolutely incredible he says you know all this medical technology that we have and all the medicine that we have and this wonderful environment we've set up but sometimes it's just the way we show up for patients that may just make the difference in their lives. And that's a huge one for healthcare. Mm-hmm. How we show up, how we're being present with them, how we're loving them. The CEO at the time we were making the film with them, I mean, would get down and play with the kids on the floor. 
the head of the lunch, the head of the cafeteria program would go out and play basketball. They could roll the kids out in their beds and play basket, let them shoot baskets from their beds. The food service gentleman would go out there and play basketball with the kids. Uh, the janitorial staff would engage with the kids. I mean, absolutely incredible. And it all started by the fact that they read the book and then a head nurse from another organization brought the film over for them and then they hired her to be the head of culture so absolutely incredible beautiful beautiful place in the world that's making a difference for these kids and these families of these kids what is that hospital again what's the name of it rankin jordan rankin jordan specialty hospital st louis missouri okay i had heard I had heard of that. One of my questions I'd written down was, isn't there a fish? I called it a fish hospital. So I'm glad you told that story. So another example, and I'll move to something else, but uh, my co-author, Steve Lundeen, was a professor. So he got a two-year professorship in Brisbane, Australia, and went down there. And during his professorship, he had the ability to go around and do fish lectures, fish talks, fish speeches, all around Australia. And he, at one of them, one of his speeches, a woman from a large healthcare provider called Blue Care came and saw his speech and fell in love with it. And we're trying to figure out how to get their vision and mission alive. And she said, fish is the absolute beautiful tool that can make this happen. They wanted to give personalized care to their 10,000 associates they're 10,000 clients now they're they're the answer to the presbyterian homes in australia so they're called blue care they're a part of the australian church chain and they're the provider of nursing homes uh, aged care facilities they call them uh, in-home hospice out home hospice and outpatient care facilities they brought it in and in a two-year to three-year process changed the entire culture of 10,000 employees serving 100,000 clients. And some of the stories that they did were incredible by the fact that not only did we, they change and let people do their best work, but from letting people do their best work, they engaged with staff, especially Alzheimer's, by seeing that the patient wasn't just sitting in the room by themselves, they got engaged with the family members and found out, for instance, one gentleman was a plumber in his life. So they let him go around with the janitorial staff, the maintenance staff, and let him do little things like tighten, you know, tighten some screws on the toilets. You know, they, over, they let him do that. And they said this man came alive from sitting, from going, sitting in his room, being miserable to coming alive again. Uh, the other one fascinating story was a gentleman was uh, an Alzheimer's patient. They found out was in the military and he was in the cavalry division of the military. And somehow, I don't know how they did it, but they found his horse and they brought his horse to the home and they they engaged with each other. The horse remembered him and he remembered the horse. Wow. 
I mean, imagine that. They had to trailer the horse from some military retirement center for the horse to the nursing home, the aged care facility, and get it out on the grass and bring it out there. I mean, think of all the permissions that had to happen for that. But the delight that they made this patient's day, this client's day, unbelievable. Madness. I mean, some of these things... See, the wonderful thing about these stories is that these wouldn't have happened if people wouldn't have had permission to do these things. In, in a corporate solid community, especially a healthcare with HEPA and all these things, if the structure's so tight and they're wound up so tight that people don't have permission to do these human engagement activities that just puts humanity back and love and care back into what we're about and helping people. Yeah, I think um, the, uh, I grabbed your book. One of your testimonials on the back of the book is um, from the uh, president emeritus of Southwest Airlines. And um, I know, I don't know Southwest's relationship with fish, but I know I'm a devout Southwest Airlines uh, passenger and, and, in many, it was, I've been traveling for, you know, almost a decade now. And for the last three years, I'm pretty much only Southwest, unless there's like a trip that just can't make it happen. And part of it is because of, I part of it, a lot of it's because when I say part, it's because certainly, you know, I like their planes and the consistency and, and, you know, I live in Baltimore, so it's a hub. And I know I'll be taken care of because they're allowed to be humans. I had an experience on a different airline it was the last time it was when i finally made my decision to just go fully southwest and i it was my own mistake i flew to greens i think it's greensboro north carolina when i was supposed to be in greensboro south carolina and and it's a good stick like i landed and i'm waiting in line to get my rental car and i pull up the just to see how far i am from the organization i was going to and it says five and a half hours and I thought that can't be right. And, and so once I went up to the desk, they said it actually happens quite often because uh, they're just the exact same name in South Carolina versus North Carolina. So because it was my own, I had to buy a ticket that day to get to where I needed to go, which seems reasonable, but I was in a terrible mood, obviously upset by this. I acknowledged it was my fault. And what set off is the person, customer service rep, had no interest in helping me. And, and I finally figured, I said to her, to be human, I said, I go, can I ask you, please don't get offended by this. I go, but do you have any power to help me? And she kind of, her shoulders relaxed and she said, no, there's nothing I can do. I, I know you're frustrated. She goes, I'm frustrated that I can't help you. And I switched because I, you know, I had experienced in other ways, Southwest doing this completely differently. And, and another perfect example is I was, uh, I got last, just, I guess it was this past February, I was in Iowa, got snowed in. I could not drive on these roads. It was like back roads. I get to actually the Minneapolis airport because it was the closest airport and got snowed in, completely missed my flight. And according to the details on the ticket, I, I have to buy another flight and I show up at the counter and I said, I got snowed in. I know that means I have to buy another ticket. I just was curious if anything you could do before I could finish. The woman printed out a ticket, handed it to me and kind of with a wink was like, 
enjoy your flight, right? Like I didn't have to pay for it. And, and that was just a moment of Southwest clearly allowing their, their, their individuals to just be a human, make a decision. Uh, according to their policy, I was supposed to buy a ticket and, and I, she's not in trouble. They, they allow their people to make decisions. You know, she's allowed to, to from the policy because there's a seat open and I got stuck in a snowstorm. And I think I owed, looking back on it, I, I had a hotel that I paid for because the hotel didn't waive my fee and other things that were related to a car rentals, you name it. And so to not have to buy a ticket was such a huge, just filler for me. And literally, it's little stuff like that that has made me a Southwest passenger for life um, because there it's, it's you're just allowing people to be human and make decisions. Yep. Southwest was wonderful because they were one of our first big customers. I think they bought mm. 10 or 15 copies. And I was like, I called them up. I got Colleen said, Hey, want to thank you for the purchase. But why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she said, this is what she said. She honestly, God said this. She said, it gives us a common language. So when I'm talking to somebody here from, you know, uh, Dallas, I can then talk to somebody in Pittsburgh and have the same language. Are you making somebody's day there today? Are you being there for people? So they were one of the first instigators of taking on fish. So even so much so, they loved it so much that they asked us to come in and make a film about them. So we made a film about them. And here's a, here's a great line in the name of the film. And the great line comes from Colleen. And Colleen at the time was, you know, the second lieutenant to Herb Kelleher, the CEO. And she says, you know, this is so, it's so simple, but nobody gets it. You just <laughs> people with love and care. It's so simple. So that was the name of our Southwest Airlines film. It was called It's So Simple. That's great. The other stories that are, are powerful for me are education. We, when Fish first came out, it was very interesting that two, I thought, at first, I thought I had a really good customer service program, right? You know, how to, how to help. This is a fish market. They're in the, they're in, you know, service industry. They're in this, you know, retail industry. I thought it would be a really great retail film. But the two areas that gravitated towards it were education and healthcare. And education was even beating healthcare. And I tried it. We tried analyzing it. And what we found out was, these are two professions that people care about what they do. They love serving others. You know, teachers are serving and nurses serve. So, so in education, when it took off, there's some elementary schools and we just heard this really interesting, there's many stories, but uh, a new one now in Idaho is living it and their numbers have gone through the roof of, of how you calculate if a culture in a school is good or bad or what it is, is sends to the principal's office. So for instance, if you had, you know, uh, 155 cents to the principal's office in 2019, they've gone down to, you know, like 12 not even 12 this year, you know? So 
that's a huge number decrease. Yeah. Sends to the principal's office, which is meaning that they're creating an environment where the kids are engaged in their classrooms. So the discipline problems are going down. So what I'm proud of in, in with fish for schools is by the fact that what we're doing is creating cultures in the classroom where people are in, where kids are engaged with each other. It's hard to be a bully when you're making somebody's day. When you're teaching in the classroom about making people's day and being present for each other and caring for each other and how dare I even say loving each other, you're not going to go do a swirly in the bathroom with <laughs> your classmates because you've got a relationship yeah. with each other. And the interesting yeah. thing is, is that teachers, this is not another burden for teachers to do. This is a way to get relationship building. It's a common language for building relationships. Look at be there for each other, make each other's day. So let somebody in line, go help somebody with their homework, seeing somebody struggle, go help them. Seeing a little kid on the playground that's in a younger grade, going out and reaching out and sharing with them, connecting with them. It's going to make you feel good. It's going to make them feel good. Um, you know, Choosing. I love the, I love the frame up of relationships as, um, you know, as, as we think of culture, what do we do? And we've really come up to this commonality word of connection. That's what is, this podcast kind of grew out of that. The 50 cups of coffee challenge grew out of that. There's organizations that have taken it on and said, if you're getting caught with a colleague who you don't typically work with, um, bring us through we'll pay, we'll pay for it kind of thing. They want to encourage people to do it. And um, they've been, you know, challenged to do these Zoom team building workshops with organizations and teams. And, and so hold up an old study that I, uh, it's not that old, but I've been using it for a while. Harvard Business Review looked at what are six principles of effective teams. And um, all of them, if you're to condense them, for my opinion, come back to treating colleagues and coworkers as friends. It doesn't mean you need to be friends, uh, but because it, it doesn't like it's, it's a cold kind of way of putting it. You don't need to be friends and treat each other like friends because you treat a friend with kindness and compassion. You seek to understand friends, you reach out to friends. Uh, and, and, and so that's a teams and organizations lately is, you know, especially right now we're in a challenging time where we're socially distanced and people are going through their own new normal. And I said, think of who you've already reached out to. You've probably texted that good friend who you want to make sure they're doing okay. You've called that friend who you haven't talked to in years, but now that you've got the time, it's like we should we should do a Zoom chat together. Um, you are reaching out, being kind, and maybe you have friends who you disagree with, and and you you still come to them with kindness. And so that concept of being a friend has been so important over these last weeks. And it comes down to what you just talked about when you're implementing these concepts in a classroom. You're encouraging friendships and relationships. And it doesn't mean you always see things eye to eye. It doesn't mean you're hanging out with each other every day. It doesn't mean you're playing together on the playground. It does mean you're being kind to each other and you're there for each other. Yep. We, we went in and filmed a wonderful teacher here in Minnesota. She actually won the educator, math educator award. She was a sixth grade teacher, but then her specialty was math. She won the education math teacher of the year award 
in, during the Obama administration and literally got the award from Obama. Mm. And we went and filmed her classroom. Unbelievable. Unbelievable how these kids treated each other. And interesting, I mean, during the interview, one young girl, sixth grader, remember, says, we love each other. Not, not in that, you know, <laughs> not in the love relationship thing, but in family. We love each other. And the kids reiterated that. Now, that time had passed with that sixth grade class. And interestingly, the kids had graduated college, and I brought them back. I brought two of the boys back and, and the teacher, and I filmed them six years later, and they said that her class gave them all the skills they needed to get through their college life and through life. And they thanked her again on camera, saying, thank you for teaching us this and giving us this skill. And they were still good friends. The two boys were still good friends. They'd gone to college, you know, and stayed friends. And I heard another story on that one that that same classroom, again, six years later after the kids were in college, had one of the kids' fathers passed away with the heart attack. And they'd all, a good majority of them had come home early for Christmas break because of the funeral. And they went to the funeral. Wow. That was six years past. Yeah. But they had built this relationship in that sixth grade classroom where they had that bond. Yeah, it's incredible. It's the kind of thing you see, you know, a classroom run the right way and organize it. My my old job, Hartford. Uh, and and I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, ironic that we used your book and watched your, your film. Uh, I was only there for three years and it's 2014 when I left and those colleagues and those students are, are individuals who I'm still in touch with this, to this day. I got married two years ago and they did my wedding even though I wasn't working there anymore. Um, I think it's, in, it's indicative of we had a culture that was built on these principles and why we resonated with your books. I looked at a lot of different resources to bring in. There's a lot out there and I chose to use because it, it resonated with, with the culture that we had, certainly propped it up and helped it. Uh, so I think, I'm sure we could go on for a whole other podcast, just well, telling stories of groups that stayed together like this. Well, thank you again. But in, in that regards, look at that, your relationships. The, what's the number one reason kids leave college? They have no relationship. A professor didn't connect with them or a student, they didn't, I mean, I've got a perfect example. My oldest daughter went to Boulder, beautiful college, but had no relationships. Nobody connected with her. Her roommate didn't connect with her. They didn't. See, here's another thing that, that schools are missing. By the fact of RAs, RAs, we, we have a, actually a college program, Fish for College, where an RA we saw do a great example of Tuesday night pizzas where he brought in, showed the film, they talked the language every Tuesday night at a pizza gathering and built the relationships on that dorm floor. And those kids flourished because they had relationships with each other. They didn't have to be best friends, right? But they had relationships. Now imagine just a plain, you know, just a normal college, even the university. I mean, if you Four years of college, that's $80,000 that a college loses if they lose 12, 15, 
of students because they don't have relationships. You know, their first year they leave. They're missing the opportunity to build these connections and build relationships. Same goes for, I, I, I don't know if it's ironic or not, but the number one reason people leave their jobs is because they don't connect with their boss, mm-hmm. right? They have no relationship with their boss. Their boss hasn't created an environment for them to connect with. Yeah, it's not ironic. It's the truth. It's we connect. We need connection now more than ever. Relationships are important. Relationships matter. And, and that's the basis of all this. I want to be respectful of, of your time. I'm I, good. I had I'm a good. hunch. I had a hunch we could do this, that we could talk for quite a while. Um, um, do we have time? I can ask you the final 50 yeah, you've got The final question you want to ask. So go. go okay. So the last question I always ask is, do you have a 50 cups of coffee story? Uh, which is simply, you know, the challenge is to do what we're doing right now, is to connect with people, is to share a coffee, is to go for a walk together, is to introduce yourself uh, and learn about them. And so it doesn't have to be profound, but just a great story that you have of how connection has served you. If I took it right and read what you were asking. Sure. What thing influenced me or changed my life the most? Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I know it's going to sound cliche and stupid, but here it goes. Having the ability to see the fish market the way I did has really changed my life. Again, I had the intention of wanting to make a difference in the world. Again, I didn't know what it was, but I knew I wanted to make a film that made a difference. And I knew I wanted to co-author a book that was going to be a bestseller. I had those on paper. I vision stated those. I looked at those. I read those over. And lo and behold, I was, I had the ability, I was given the gift. The gift to see what the fish market was doing and what, what it was about. And then serve the world by giving that to the world. I was just a vehicle of saying, here it is, look at it, look at it this way. What can we do with it? How can we serve people? How can we look at the world in a different way? And it was truly a gift and it's changed my life completely by the fact of look at, look at all the stories that of all the people's lives that have been touched again, building, helping build cultures where people can do their best work, where, where stories, unbelievable amount of stories that have come in. Uh, it's, um, there's one, there's two stories. I don't want to, don't want to kill them for people, but there was one teacher who passed away, I think a sixth grader, a middle school teacher. He passed away with a heart attack. They had a fish funeral for him. The kids cut out our, our fish symbol and displayed it in, at the funeral, wrote on what this gentleman meant to what this teacher meant to them. He made them understand choice. He made them help be playful, made them make other people's day, gave them the idea that they can, you know, respond to things differently. Uh, that's unbelievable. We've also heard of a woman who was a dental hygienist who has a fish tattoo on her ankle. I mean, fish has changed my life, but I don't have a tattoo on my body. <laughs> uh, that's, 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 that's 
you know, that's cultish. That's Harley Davidson-ish, right? Who have people who have mm -hmm. tattoos of Harley Davidson on their bodies. And then the one that I'm really proud of is a now a friend of mine who said fish saved his life. He lost his child to a rare disease, a five-year-old child. He went into severe depression. In the ward when he was working, when the hospital was serving his child and trying to help his child, uh, they were doing fish on their floor. The nurses were practicing fish and he learned it when they were learning it. Over a two year period, his child was sick and he saw them flourish and it helped him. He brought fish back to his, his car dealership at the time and then his son passed away and he went into severe depression and found himself being awakened by EMTs one day because he had overdosed and wanted just to end his life. And in, in rehabilitation, he woke up and said one day, he said, wait a minute, fish, I can choose how I respond to this. This is a horrible thing. This is as bad as it is for a parent to lose a child. This is the most horrible, horrific thing can happen. And he realized that he could choose how he responded. And he said, it changed my life. I realized that I had a choice of how I can respond. And more importantly, he had three or four other kids in his family that he had to serve, that he had to be a father for. And Fish saved his life. But at the dinner one night, he said, but most importantly, you saved four kids from not having parents. Mm. But uh, I, I, how thankful and how grateful I am. Words can't express it, Bobby. I mean, words cannot express the gratitude that I have for having been given the gift to share with people. Well, John, I love, I love that that's your answer to this question because it is, it is profound. I can feel it in how you're answering it, that words can't do it justice. I think those stories illustrate it so well. And going back to the, the beginning of the podcast, um, this moment of walking by the fish market, seeing it, going up, realizing it. And, and it was, like you said, what, 15 years after your first intention and, and many, many movies made and many experiences had and failures and travel like there's so much into it and now to trace this impact back to that moment um that is really that's what in my opinion that's what that's what 50 cups of coffee is all about i always when i first did my tedx talk a lot of people thought it was about networking and it's really not i mean certainly that's part of it but networking has this connotation of of you're getting something out of it and it's like it's really just about opening yourself up to opportunities and to connections and to experiences and walking by that fish market. And if you say, wow, that's what they're doing there is really incredible. And I see that, that gentleman getting down on one knee to, to scare the kid and then love the kid. And, and instead of just saying, wow, that's awesome. And walking away, you move through the crowd, you go up to somebody and you say, tell me more about what's happening here. And maybe that leads to, you know, I don't want anyone listening to this think that that's the secret sauce to creating your own impact. It's not. It's just how you live your life. I'm sure you have done that countless times. You walk through the crowd and say, tell me what's going on here. And maybe it doesn't lead to something like this. But that one time it does has, has changed people's lives and changed your life. So I, I think that is just a, 
a perfect answer to the question. Well, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, Bobby. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I, I appreciate the conversation. Um, this, is, this has been awesome. So thank you, John. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. This is a journey that began with a TEDx talk back in 2016 called the 50 Cups of Coffee Challenge. If you haven't already, go head on over to YouTube to check that out. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review wherever you are listening. That is the best way to support our growth. To connect with me, head on over to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn at Bobby Audley. Our show theme song and art is by Matisse Soy.